listening to Made in the Middle, the podcast that's part history, part science, and, well, well, except actually this episode has none of that. This episode is recorded from my home studio, which is a closet full of blankets, and it begins, as most podcasts do in these days of social distancing, with a phone call. Hello. Hi. So everyone out there, we're pretending this is behind the scenes of radio. We're pretending that we're talking for the first time today, but this is the third take. Because I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) We're trying our best. We are. It's all we can do right now in the in-between times. Gosh, it's weird to really not hear that like I'm speaking uh, like I usually hear it in the studio. It's okay. My closet's great. I love my closet. Do you like your home studio? I do. I thoroughly enjoy my home studio. Um, It's my office where I generally am editing videos or making podcasts. And since I started at the radio station, right before we had to close the offices, um, I've pretty much exclusively worked for the radio station at home, too. So... Oh, yeah. And we should say that. So Josh is new to the radio station and he comes from a background in documentary filmmaking uh, and he's been helping us. You've heard his name. If you've been listening to the podcast, you hear his name at the end of every episode. But uh, he brings a really great, unique perspective coming from more of a visual world and documentary style. We're happy to have him. Yeah, Uh, we are. So, you know, since I'm the new voice here, I'll fill people in on what's going on. If you haven't noticed, we haven't released a new episode of Made in the Middle in a minute, and that's because we're going to a season format to give me and Emily and the rest of the team, Todd and everyone, time to really dive into the quality and the research on each episode and really make this a highly produced podcast, whereas when we're scrambling every month to get it out, it's a lot harder to do that. And of course, the COVID-19 outbreak did play somewhat of a role in this or does play a role because we don't know when we're coming back. Usually in a season format, we would let you know. At this point, we're not really sure when we can be in the studio and do those sit-down in-person interviews. So we will let you know in another upcoming catch-up episode. But right now, we just want to let you know we will be back. So, yeah, this episode is different. Um, We are working on these other projects. Got this really great project that Josh is spearheading. It's more of a documentary style called A Portrait of Pandemic, based here in Omaha, working with local folks and how they are experiencing the pandemic on a personal human experience level. Um, We also have a kids podcast that's out soon called Six Feet of Science for All the Kids Out of School Now. For this episode, for today, what we've got together is uh, an interview that I collected about a week ago, and this is just checking back in with someone who we interviewed for one of our very first episodes. Her name is Dr. Laura Huang, and she's with the Harvard Business School. She's a professor, uh, PhD. She does research as well. Uh, She's recently written a book, and her book has to do with the way that people form opinions about others and sometimes yourself. And it's, it's about gaining the flipping those stereotypes that people may have about you, flipping that stereotype into something that kind of works for you. And she is Asian American. 
Uh, she posted something on Twitter about her experience right now during the pandemic, her experience and other folks in the Asian American community in the United States. So I reached out to her and asked her if she would be willing to do an interview within the context of COVID-19, which our president calls the China virus and the experience of being Asian American, the experience of being someone who studies stereotypes and things like that and has written about them. Um, so that's the interview that I have for us to listen to today. Great. I'm excited to hear it. All right, then. I'll go ahead and fire it up. Uh, it begins with Dr. Huang talking about her recent book. So, so much of the book is about how do you hone your ability to see how others see you? Um, because people are making impressions. There's the first impressions happening all the time. Every time you meet someone, they are already either implicitly or explicitly, already writing a story in their head about who you are, where you've come from, what you're capable of. They're already trying to write that story of you. So you need to be able to guide those perceptions of others so that they can see the true value that you, pro you, you provide. And so when you're redirecting, when you're guiding their perceptions, it's basically saying, you know, I'm not going to let you write the story of who I am. I'm going to take the pen and write the story myself because it is my story. Mm. And I don't want to give too much away for, for folks who may go and now pick up the book, but I do remember at the very beginning, so we're not giving too much away here, you do talk about this experience with Elon Musk and turning that a little bit on its head. Um, can you talk about that experience briefly? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what you're referring to is this meeting that I had with Elon Musk that I very serendipitously um, locked my way into. A friend of mine was meeting him to talk about um, SpaceX, which is one of his companies, and I was doing research at the time on the emergence of the private space industry. And so we were meeting with him to talk about private space. Um, and so we had prepared tremendously for this meeting. Um, we had done our homework. We had, you know, lots of intelligent questions to ask him. So we went into this meeting and within 30 seconds of, of stepping foot into his office, he basically looked at us and he said, no, get out of my office. And so I had not even uttered a word at this point. And he basically was like, get out of my office. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck just happened? Um, and so I sort of was like stunned for a second and started laughing because I was, I don't know, I was like, there was, I was like, not sure what to do. And I was sort of nervous. And when I am nervous, sometimes I just sort of like start to giggle nervously. And so I was laughing, um, you know, at Elon. And then all of a sudden he starts. <laughs> He's like stunned for a second as well. Like, why is this girl laughing at me? And then he starts laughing. I don't know why. I mean, there's research that talks about it, how in situations of uncertainty, we mimic the behaviors of others, like I mentioned earlier. And so maybe there's maybe it was that, that he just sort of, um, so we're both like laughing at each other now. And I realized in that, in that instant that he's actually not looking at me, but he's looking at the, the gift that I'm holding. And the gift, it's, it was an unwrapped gift, and I realized that he thought it was a product prototype and that we were entrepreneurs trying to pitch him and that we were, I don't know, inevitably asking him for money or connections or introductions or something. And so I sputter out in my nervous laughter. I say, um, oh, you think we're entrepreneurs? And he's like, aren't you? And I'm like, no, and you, and you think we want your money? And he's like, don't you? And I think I said, again, in my nervousness, I said something like, well, you don't have any money, do you? Or something along those lines. And 
Who are you anyway? Yeah, who are you How anyway? did I get like, here? Money. And then he thought that was hilarious. So then he was like, oh, please come into my office. I'm sorry. <laughs> my husband is knocking on the closet door. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that your husband? Yes. <laughs> oh, I would love to meet him. You should have him pop his head in. Laura wants to meet you. Hello. <laughs> oh, you're bringing your cat. Oh, yeah, he can't hear anything you're saying because I have. Oh, okay. I'm just going to just, tell him I'm just gesturing and saying hi. And tell him and, and tell him that you're keeping all of this in. Yeah, this will all stay in for sure. You're going to take the cat? Yeah. Okay. Just... <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so, so, yeah. So, and so that's the delight that I'm talking about, right? Like, we knew we could enrich and provide value to him, but we didn't even have that opportunity. Right. We, you know, for some people, it's because they don't belong to the same networks or the same right groups or whatever. But you're there's lots of times when the odds are against you when someone has clearly said, no, get out of my office. And so um, I just needed that opportunity. And so we delighted him. He invited us into his office and we had an amazing conversation. And none of the hard work that we had put in originally really made a difference until after we had. Um, we had sort of delighted and guided his, his perceptions. And, and, you know, you asked before about like, so much of it is about understanding the perceptions that others have about us. And there is always an underlying perception that is driving people's actions and behaviors. And so it's so important to be able to hone those the, that ability to understand how others are perceiving us and the attributions they're making about us whether it's that we are entrepreneurs or that we're that you're a woman, for example, and that you're not as competent or that you're an older employee and you're not as as technologically proficient or you're someone with an accent and therefore you're not as interpersonally influential. There's all of these underlying perceptions. And when we're able to flip those stereotypes in our favor, that's when we create an advantage and that's when we can create an edge. And I think in today's, I mean, what we're sort of grappling with now is this added level of nuance that we're online, we're in webinars, we're remote. And that also is changing the perceptions that, that people are going to have about us. So let's shift now and talk a little bit about what's happening in the American climate um, with coronavirus which our president has been calling the Chinese virus and how that is affecting people, real human beings um, living in America. Yeah, I mean, I think that has been particularly, I mean, it's been particularly like acute and bothersome to me for a number of different reasons. I mean, the first is just purely like, what is wrong with people when you are attacking two-year-olds and six-year-olds over something like this, right? There is this, there is this desperation and there is this misunderstanding that, that is inevitably occurring when we are attacking anybody based on this sort of thing. Uh, there's so much here that I, I have been that I have been thinking about, and you know I'm not going to be able to articulate this in nearly as 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 you know in the fashion that I would like to. Sure. But you know the thing is that we are very we we very quickly um, do sort of this in group out group type of analysis in our heads, and the thing that concerns me a lot here is that 
when I speak out about this sort of racism, xenophobia, that sort of thing, I, as an Asian American woman, it doesn't have as much impact when I speak out about this as it does when a black woman, for example, says, what is going on? Why are you sort of doing this? And the same happens in reverse. I realized that when I speak out about racism against blacks, Hispanics, you know, people you know, based on sexual orientation, any sort of thing that I myself don't identify with, um, the message carries a lot more weight, right? And so part of what I'm sort of, what, what bothers me here is that let's make this a, an issue about not just this issue, but we need to think about humanity in a larger sort of way. If each of us does 1% extra, think about the sort of exponential impact that that has, right? We're talking about COVID, which is so much, we're having this conversation about linear and exponential and all this sort of thing, but like putting aside the disease and the, the virus, but what about what about in terms of how we interact with other people? We're now physically not able to interact with other people, but this is a way where we can still support others, even though we're not physically connected. I, I just think that um, if there's anything that I can sort of say about this is that let's try and fight against the people and the interactional types of disasters that we have, because we need to bind together to sort of fight the sort of physical and virus-related implications of what of what we're dealing with right now. So what would that effort look like for an individual? I think it's it's getting the message sort of across. If, if each person sort of, you know, saw something and said something or... Or tweeted um, something or whatever or we can interact with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just mm-hmm. even retweeted something out, right? Because a lot of times we see something, we're like, yeah, we agree, but that's not really our issue. Right. But or if you just retweet something and and making it a it, making it sort of a um, a part of it, which is retweeting things that you personally are not even um, sort of connected to. Um, if we take this step in each of us doing it for on behalf of someone else, that just compounds. And I almost feel like in this virtual world where we're all living now, where we're communicating primarily with our thumbs, uh, text messages or, or tweets or Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is, that there's almost more space for you to speak up on behalf of other folks than it would be in the uh, otherwise living earthly plane. And I say that as a straight white woman um, mm-hmm. who's engaged in social issues, but quite often, like if we were in a, a room and folks were sharing um, their experiences of adversities, it wouldn't really be my place to stand up and say something. You know, like right. I, it wouldn't be right to take that mic at that point. But right now, because yeah. there's not a single mic, it's almost like it's you have more opportunity to just like add your, add, raise your hand and say, yes, 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 I agree. Yes, I agree. Um, of course, that virtual reality also gives people permission to do all kinds of um, not positive or productive things. But maybe in this case, it is uh, it can be more productive um, in some ways than 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 physical existence with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I mean, everything is just so abstract right now. It's it's this education component, right? It's the equivalent of um, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, I have no idea what the news in Florida looks like, like 
the local sort of education and news and conversations that's happening in Florida versus in San Francisco versus in Boston, where I am. Um, and so trying to sort of understand that and trying to sort of understand what is it that they're being told in certain areas? What is it that, um, you know, and, and kind of having that holistic picture um, helps us then to more specifically hone in on our local challenges. So that's what I sort of mean, if that makes any, if that makes more sense. Well, yeah. And on that note, actually, because, you know, our audience is primarily Midwest. We're produced out of Omaha, mm -hmm. Nebraska. The show is called Made in the Middle. Can you talk a yeah. bit about what the experience is it is for you or other Asian Americans living in larger cities right now? Because I think oftentimes in the Midwest, there is a mentality or a feel, whether it is accurate or not, that racism and um, some more unsavory parts of America don't exist here. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, the reason why it happens is a whole other episode. But can you can you share a little bit of that experience from a, a more populous part of this country? Yeah, I mean, I've had friends who have gotten yelled at, who have had racial slurs hurled at them, friends who have gotten spit on. Um, I've had, you know, nasty emails written to me, even um, all through this about how dare I write a book and think that I have faced any sort of adversity in my life and how dare I even try, you know, those sorts of things. And those things can really add up and be pretty devastating. But, you know, I think going back to sort of what we were talking about before, it's like the, we all sort of have our own perceptions and we need to respect the perceptions of others while we're allowing, while we're also understanding that we ourselves need to be, be respected. And so some of it is having these sort of conversations. And I think one of the things that's been really, really harmful is our lack of ability to have these sort of micro level conversations. And what, what I mean by that is a lot of times you sort of get into something and somebody doesn't necessarily mean something malicious by it. But, um, you know, how many times have we gone in and have we been in a situation where we we say something and then we leave and then we're like, oh, my gosh, I hope that person didn't think I meant that. Um, I totally didn't mean it that way, but I can see how they might be thinking. And then we're sort of wondering, like, if they thought we meant it in that way. And it doesn't necessarily even have to do with race or gender or anything. It's just we said something and we think it came off the wrong way. And we've all had that experience. And so but when it's ourselves, we can sort of think about that and think, oh, well, we didn't mean it that way. We hope they didn't. But in the reverse, when somebody says something to us, we're very quick to be like, that really rubbed me the wrong way or something. And so we don't engage in these sort of dialogues. And then people sort of feel burned. They're like, oh, never again will I say something about that or never again will I. And that creates, you know, this, this atmosphere where we don't even want to speak up if, it, if we feel like we're not, if we feel like we're not sort of you know, we don't have the, like, we're not justified to talk about that or, or something. It's, it's, we've been burned before. And then we're like, okay, it's better to just not say anything at all than to be misconstrued or to think that, um, and I think those are the situations where we need to be able to have those conversations and say like, oh, well, what did you mean by that? Or like, oh, well, like, let me help you. Like, help me understand, or even just in a non-confrontational sort of way. And that's also what I mean by guiding and redirecting, right? So 
when I when I talk in the book about how do you redirect those perceptions that people have of you, it's not that, for example, if you go in and, and you know that there might be gender stereotypes or something, you don't go into a situation and say, like, I know it's because I'm a woman that you think X, Y, and Z. But you don't do it. You, that's going to just create this situation where the other person would be like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant, even if they did or whatever. But if you know that underlying perception, perhaps, for example, that they think you can't grow your company as large or that you're not qualified to be the CEO of a tech company because of gender norms or something. That's when you go in and you sort of say, like, let me tell you about a time when I fought for resources for my team or let me tell you about a time when I closed this deal or let me tell you about this technology that I've developed. Or, you know, I give the example of older employees, right, before I talked about how, you know, the stereotypic perception is sometimes that older employees are not as technical, technologically proficient or not as good at technology. And what I found in my research is that there's only, there's actually only one underlying perception that people have of older employees when they're interviewing for a job, for example. The one underlying perception they have is that older employees are not as curious. And so then when I say to these older employees, I say, okay, before you go into this interview, I want you to know that the perception they have of you is that you're not as curious. You know what? They go in and they go into these interviews and they, they say things like, you know, tell me more about your strategy and how it's evolved over time. I'm curious about the vision. I'm curious about how you've done this. And what happens is that not only are they rated higher in terms of curiosity, they're also rated higher in terms of technological proficiency in terms of willingness to learn new things and they're much more willing they're much more likely to get hired for that job so in a very benign way you're sort of taking that perception and you're flipping it around and you're showing them how indeed you are curious the same thing happens i think in terms of when we're having these sort of conversations it's not by coming on real strong it's about going in with this sort of inquiry mindset and saying like help me understand why you know why when i said this it may have been offensive or help me understand why you know help me understand what your views are like if, so if you're sort of saying like okay is this a virus that originated in china and i'm trying to understand what's happening here and why this sort of anti-Asian hate is happening. It's like, help me understand why this is, you know, and that that sort of creates this environment where we do show that we care and that we're trying to understand so that we can get to a point where we understand each other. And so I see how that works with like these preconceived notions, but does that same approach, does that cross over to just straight up racism? You know, it's the, what happens a lot of times is it, we have to sort of make a call on what is what what's this situation because every situation is different right if this is something that's like a violent kind of thing i mean the first thing you need to do is stop the sort of immediate danger right you need to um make sure that you're sort of stopping so so like in in, in medical terms like you got to stop the bleeding like before you before you do anything else you got to stop the bleeding so you can see what's happening what's going on so i think in some situations it's certainly that in others there's sort of circumstances. It's like, how acute is this danger? What is sort of happening? Um, is it just that we see, we're not seeing eye to eye? Is it that, um, 
there's something that's really confrontational and aggressive here. So sort of all of that goes into honing your ability to kind of see what's what's necessary in a certain situation. But what happens is a lot of times when we're in, when we don't see eye to eye with somebody, um, our initial reaction is to kind of be like, here are the four points that are so compelling that I'm just going to say them and it's going to change that person's mind. Like that doesn't work. It doesn't work to sort of say like, here are like, I'm going to logic my way through this. I'm going to give you the four points that I've thought about. And they're going to be such compelling points that you're going to be like, you know what? I, you're right and I'm wrong. That just is not going to happen. And so that's where like kind of advocating and strongly advocating in that way is not going to work. Um, because number one, they've already heard those arguments before and they have counter arguments. Um, number two, there's nothing to be gained from, from sort of already turning to the adversarial. Um, and so what really needs to happen is by, is, is sort of showing that number one, you don't agree so that you're not going to be a pushover, but that you want to understand. And if you can kind of come to sort of an agreement, some sort of like home base that you both can sort of go off of, like, you know, we both agree that the coronavirus is a horrible disease and sort of saying like, yeah. What is this has affected me by, you know, I have lost my job. This has affected you from your, you have relatives that are now sick, right? And we are both sort of suffering from this. And like that can even be like a point of, of connection that you then sort of say, um, you know, and, and then sort of like from there being like, not only have I lost my job, but people have been saying that I lost my job because of my race. People have spit on me. People have all of these sorts of things that, that are sort of that, that compound and help you see the humanity in each other. But again, you can't always start from that point of view because sometimes it's very aggressive and sometimes it's, it's, it's physically violent. And so you, you, you need to be able to kind of stop that first. So these things are tricky. There's a lot of nuance. Yeah, You know, it's so, I think like the other thing that's sort of like, just like the one last thing that I think is really, um, I, I feel like we're, we're also in this period right now, something that I've been thinking a lot about is there's this like tension now where we all are struggling in different ways, but yet we all sort of feel guilty in some ways of talking about it too. Like on the one hand, we're sort of like, this is, these are all the ways that I'm being affected with it. But at the same time, I know that there's people who are so much worse off and are really being affected by this. And so we, we almost like don't feel like we're entitled to talk about this. Right. I don't have kids. I'm not trying to homeschool. I'm not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what a sort of horrible like thing that we're in now where we feel like we have to be in a competition of who has it worse. Um, And I feel like this sort of underlies a lot of the dynamics that have been sort of happening in America as well, where we're in this like, you know, you're not, you shouldn't talk about Asian issues because such and such like race or or ethnicity has it so much worse. And like, I think it's in general, it's just sort of not helpful to be able to, to get into these competitions on who has it worse. It's not really bringing us forward in, in any sort of way. Um, you know, I think even microaggressions and aggressions are, are dangerous because those added up ends up being also very, very harmful, right? So it's not like, let's take this one violent act 
and say how horrible that is. And so now we can't talk about any of the sort of microaggressions because all of those microaggressions do also add up. You know, I mean, there I've had friends who have gotten spit on, yelled at, you know. Um, so um, I think, you know, some of the things that we, we talked about already, I think those are just ways to sort of think about this so that we can stay positive in this very negative environment that we're in now. There's so much nuance, and I really I appreciate you taking the time to to speak so extensively on it. I really, really appreciate your time. Well, you know, I think like the other, I mean, I think part of what's happening too with all of this is like we we are all we like this is just like a, I feel like I'm, we're just having a conversation and we're just talking to each other on the phone or something, right? Like, and I think that's part yeah. of what's happening now too. Is like we're in this we're we're in this new normal where. Um, the conversations we do have with people, they don't, for some reason, things don't feel as, as formal because we're all sort of informal now. We're all at home. We're all, I think it's because I'm sitting on the floor of my closet <laughs> is why I feel less formal. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to see your cats and got to meet your husband, you know, so yep. I think we can also, like, we, we can have more real conversations now too. And mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. should we should be doing that. So it, it does seem like the structures are becoming looser right now. Not that I'm saying, you know, there's a silver lining to coronavirus. Right, right, right. But it's it's just interesting to observe what's happening right now in the space of the world and how people are interacting with one another. It there are some walls that are coming down that are interesting to see. Yes, come down. Because we would all prefer there not to be any silver linings and this to not have happened at all. But given where we are now and trying to make the best of it, I think this is it is nice to be able to have these sort of these sort of connections and being able to open it up to lots of different perspectives. And then I think it it really does create different type of content than what we're used to. So, yeah. Well, yeah, no, this is great. Thanks so much for reaching out again. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really appreciate the time. Yeah, always a pleasure. Reach out anytime. Wow, that was a really good interview. Um, and I really appreciated a lot of the things that she said. And I know there were some things touched on as far as like, especially me uh, in the position that I am in the way. How do I how do I describe this? You're white. You're a man. Is that what you're trying to get at? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, I don't I know just, what you're saying. No, no, no. That is basically what I was getting to is like is a lot of those issues are things that I do feel like I need to stay out of, you know? Mm. And, um, and I think that it is important for us to be able to speak to it when we see something happening. Yeah. 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 I know what you, yeah. I mean, and it is, there is something about this now virtual space that we're all existing in with each other. It, it feels like a little bit more comfortable, like you're not taking the the spotlight away from someone else. You're not taking the mic from somewhere else because there's just so much space on the interweb. Yeah, and it's kind of made me think that one of the things I really hope is that we come to a realization in our society of how important work that we take for granted is. I'm thinking about like grocery stores and restaurants and, and the people that we interact with. Um, 
and we treat like they're lesser and we have certain judgments when we go into a grocery store or a restaurant we're like oh this person's just a server or whatever i hope that we can change our view in society and treat humans like they're humans regardless of their job or anything else which is like actually not dissimilar from what Laura Huang was talking about, right? Like these stereotypes that we have about people, but mm-hmm. now it's being changed on like a societal level that's being turned around as a positive. Yeah. I mean, I worked in the mm-hmm. grocery industry for a decade. Like that is a hard job. Yeah. Like I would say the reason to get out of grocery is because the job is so hard and thinkless. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and, uh, you know, talking all day over zoom and recording into a microphone is way easier than stocking shelves at a grocery store. (laughs) So, you know, we, I think the, our values should, uh, reflect that. Yeah. It's way harder. Even when you're not battling a global pandemic, it still is much harder work than what a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that once we saw when society shuts down, who still has to go to work, um, maybe those stereotypes fall away. I hope. And we start treating everyone regardless of their job, their skin color, their uh, uh, clothes that they wear, any of those stereotypes. I hope that those things start falling away a little bit. And I don't know. Yeah. And I do want to say too, because this is like in the theme of the podcast being history and science or culture and history and science, um, oftentimes people treat those as if they are not inherently connected. But I think right now is a perfect example in time and history of when we see how these things are interconnected and how culture is being affected by science and like the way that we interact with each other and the perspectives, right or wrong, that we have about other people are informed a, by science and truths, and B, by misconceptions that are out there about the workforce, about people's ethnicity, about disease origin. Like, there are falsities out there, and it doesn't matter if it's real or not. If people believe that it's real, that is that impacts how you feel about a person. Yeah, and then talking about history, too, there's also the historical precedent of uh, the Spanish flu right. actually uh, being from the United States as well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So all of this like history and science and in my mind, uh, I mean, of course it is. That's why I produced this show. But <laughs> because I believe that it is connected. But I think we're seeing it in a real way right now um, how the the history and of the history and the culture of our world is being shaped by the science, the information and the misinformation around science. Amen. But, I mean, that's a good place to end this episode, right? <laughs> I think so. So we will be back at some point, listeners. We're not sure when, but we will post another episode when we do have that season. We'll be back on August 1st at 6 p.m. That is not true. (laughs) No. (laughs) Misinformation. But we will post another episode to let you know when we've gotten things back on track and we will be releasing in a season format. Uh, special thanks this episode to Dr. Laura Huang and Joshua LeBure. Yay, <laughs> I did it. I made it onto an episode. People know who I am now. <laughs> thanks for having me on your program. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for sticking with me. My minimal understanding of technology. 
That's okay. We're all figuring this out together. 